I'm Ron Stefanski, and I'm the host and co-host of Disrupt Ed. And I'm joined by Dr. Caesar, who's in the house. Hello, Caesar. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. And today we've got some exciting visitors and guests to talk to about the state of the state in terms of student learning and how people are learning to overcome the various obstacles that have prevented them from achieving the kind of meaningful success in work, work that and is- on. And they're not yeah. just regular guests, they're like phenomenal world-class guests. So let me just add, let me just add something to that. <laughs> yes, I think that's absolutely right. And, and you wanna tell them what they also possess. They possess, remember, keep in mind, all our guests yep. do, a very high GSD index. <laughs> Your and, turn. So, Ryan, you created this term. So, just I, I go to bed at night thinking about people that get shit done. I just think about it all of the time. <laughs> well, I think what we've learned on this show uh, from every one of our guests, and it's no less the case with our esteemed guests today, is that people who get stuff done, get shit done, are people who have a view of how to overcome the barriers or the mindsets that have stifled progress. And so I think what uh, Dr. Howard Liebman, who's here today from the and is the CEO of Smart Horizons Career Online Education, and Kari Erickson, who's the Vice President of Partnerships uh, for Smart Horizons, are both here to talk about overcoming barriers and getting students at any age, uh, and in this case, adults, uh, to really move the needle in terms of their education and preparedness for the future of work, recognizing that the future is here. Welcome to the show, Dr. Welcome, Howard and Kari. Welcome. True disruptors. Thank you, Thank you True Caesar and Ron. Disruptors. True disruptors. So, Howard, I remember, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, we worked together when you were launching the high school 10 years ago. And I remember um, sitting with you the first week. Uh, we started uh, collaborating, and um, we went through a demonstration of what you were doing. And I remember thinking, wow, we're just getting started here. This is going to be big. And so um, without, you know, without a lot of, of, of unnecessary fanfare, you really, really did move the needle. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And, and before you get into the specifics, I want to hear what influenced you to have such a high GSD index. And you remember what GSD stands for. So how did, you start, how did you develop that kind of a mindset? You know, it's a, it's a good question, Ron. I mean, I think I, I developed that mindset ultimately from my parents um, who were get done type of people. Um, mm -hmm. my, my only sibling is has a similar DNA as I is. It's interesting because um, my brother works for NBC Universal and he he's always getting done. And I was just telling somebody the other day, I'm like, why do my brother and I are so, why are we so focused on getting done? And I, I mean, I think, I think ultimately it came back to um, our parents and also it came back to passion. Um, I think you've got to have passion when you get done GSD. And, and I think, uh, you know, passion is important because if you're going to change mindsets and you're going to change schemas of thinking, uh, you really have to be passionate about what you're trying to do and and that we are. And and I want to just for everybody who's 
watching this, just to be clear. Um, and thank you, Caesar and Ron, for having us. Absolutely. What we do is very clear, and that is we re-engage adults into the educational system, adults, not compulsory age students, adults who have left the educational system, never completed their high school diploma, and are 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, upwards of 90, who have left the educational system, and we want to get them back. And the real question is, when you want to get them back, you know, we knew when we started this, we were very mission focused. There's 40 million adults in the country who don't have a high school diploma. If we're going to, if we're going to re-engage them, we've got to take a very tactical and strategic approach to how we're going to do that uh, moving forward. And that's, that's, that's where we are today. We are today serving adults, people who dropped out of high school who are trying to earn their high school diploma concurrently at the same time with occupational skills training in one of 10 pathways. And that's the ultimate focus of what we do. Manufacturing, home care, uh, child care, transportation, manufacturing, whatever that occupational skills pathway is, we want to do that concurrently with having them earn their high school diploma. You know what's so really unique about that, Howard, while you're talking, I was just thinking that not only don't they have a high school diploma, they work they work every day. Now they want to take classes, get into skilled trades, uh, careers, and they have families. <laughs> you know? right. They want all of us with families. They have to feed and look after the, the whole nine yards. That's phenomenal. Phenomenal. And so, that's why I want to focus. That's why I want to you know, Kari is really going to be able to talk a little bit about who our students are, because uh, that's what we want to use this podcast today to really talk about who are the students? Wh who are they? What, mm -hmm. what, and what a really, really excellent uh, starting point, because you moved into an area that was frankly neglected by many people uh, in the early days that you were launching Career Online High School. There were prison systems, there were workforce agencies, there were a lot of different players um, who didn't seem all that interested in helping those who literally had a stop sign to their future progress because they were too old to go to a school, they were too old to accept um, assistance from the state uh, in some kind of adult-aged program. So they had nothing but the GED to fall back on. And in many cases, they were too far away from their educational experience to do that. So, Kari, it'd be great to hear more about the students because it seems to me one of the things I'm hearing about is that you guys have dispelled the myth that these are, um, you know, that these are, your students are comprised of pregnant teenagers and uh, those with drug histories or addiction histories, that it's it's not that at all, is it? Absolutely not. No, we, I mean, our average age student is mid-30s, 70% uh, are women. To Caesar's point, you know, I love the data and I downloaded all of our exit surveys right. before this and was crunching numbers. 63% of our students are parents. Um, and of those nearly 50% have three or more children. So these are wow. busy individuals. And as you read, you do a, a search for the example, uh, the word example or role model, and 
hundreds of thousands of surveys come up. That is the motivation. Our students are getting this done. They're getting their shit done because they had to stop off the path in the in the compulsory age. You know, they had to to, to get a job. They had to pay their rent. Some some of those women absolutely got pregnant in high school, uh, took time off, and now they're realizing I gotta I, I gotta provide a better life for my family. Yeah. And that's the key. That's really important. Because that's the thing that drives them, right? It has to be some internal motivation that gets you to go back to school, still work, and take care of your family, go to the little league games, all other kind of stuff, right? And, hey, you know what I wanted to ask uh, uh, while we were talking a couple of days ago, I meant to ask this, is that your approach is a little different than the traditional pedagogical approach, right? Because many people haven't heard of this concept about andragogy. And that's really about teaching adults. It's not pedagogy. Because if you try to approach them, and I would just like to hear a little bit about your approach, but if you try to approach them the way the traditional K-12 approaches students, you're going to lose them, right? So what do you guys do in terms of the, the, the approach that you use to maintain the interests of the students? So that's a great question. And um, I, I don't want, I don't want, you know, I, a lot of our work is based on the concept of educational trauma and the idea uh, that when you look at the variable, you disattach education and trauma and you just look at trauma at a core level, the brain has a fight or flight response to anything that was negative, that had negative emotions tied to it, that were severe negative emotions tied to it. And what we found is, is that when people who left high school and never got their high school diploma have negative emotions. So we were very, so we went into this with a negative emotion. It's interesting because we just had an academic coach retreat last Friday. And we were talking about a, 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 uh, a concept of pretest assessments in our program. And one of the coaches said, look, this is creating negative emotions for our students. So that would be an example of when we would really look at that. But when we look at the concept of educational trauma and we look at where we go to find these students, first of all, if we have 40 million people who don't have a high school diploma in the United States, where do you think they are right now? Well, the 40 million of them are predominantly sitting in state correctional facilities they're going to public libraries, they're going to workforce boards, they're going to community colleges to get their adult education services, or they're, or, or they're, working, or they're working for corporations as, front, as workers that, that, that have been able to get done without a high school diploma. So, so what we look at, that's where we kind of, that was one thing we was, where do we find them? The thing is you don't find them in school districts. Right. You don't, because that's, that's where the trauma occurs. Right. But so they don't return. So they don't return back to a school that has failed them or told them that they were a failure. In other words, is that what I'm hearing, Howard? Correct. You're. That, that, but when we look at the three variables of educational trauma around instructional design, because Caesar, you asked, okay, what's the design of the program? The design of the program, first of all, there are no F's in the program, Caesar. They never see a stimuli of an F because it's competency based. They advance when they get greater than a 70. They don't. They're remediated. There's embedded knowledge checks along the way to the end of lesson assessment. We want to eliminate that, that stimuli in the brain to activate the flight. The that second thing we want to eliminate to activate the flight is we use, we flip the classroom. 
So when students go to a community college or a post-secondary institution, they declare a major halfway through their courses. We don't do that. Our students declare a major upon point of enrollment and they take just their major, which is one of 10 areas. So if someone picks manufacturing, they take their first four manufacturing courses over the first four months. We don't put them in a math, science, social studies, or language arts course because they're going to flight. and We want to reduce that. And then the third variable is the academic coach. And that is the person that's with them from point of entry to point of exit, where in a lot of cases, they have also had educational trauma themselves and overcome that. Just similar to when someone goes for alcohol or drug treatment, they want to speak to somebody who's overcome that obstacle. So that is really, that is the core of what we do. No failure, concurrent offering of occupational skills training, and a strong coaching model. And Kari will tell you, those are the things that we hear are the differentiators in these thousands of graduates we've had who talk to us. That's what they should do in K-12 too, by the way, the same type of strategies, you know, so that you don't fail because I have this thing too, right? I hate to take tests. I've always hated it and I still hate it, right? But nonetheless, well, why test people? Are you trying to say, well, you're you're, uh, part of the group that failed? Right. And so it right. does have an impact on you. And I think that strategy, man, is really encouraging. I just think it's a really great strategy. Let me ask you a question, Kari. So when when people, when students, adults come in the door, is that their expectation? What's their, what's, what, you know, because they, they have in their mind where they've been before, right? So what happens? I mean, how do you dispel that right away? Well, I think, you know, first of all, it does start with fantastic partnerships, right? People trust public libraries. We're in 2,000 public library locations. So when they, when they, that's fantastic. Yeah. um, You know, they, 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 they trust their employers, but from the, from the time that they're enrolled and we assign that academic coach, there's a welcome call and we get recordings of those and you hear them. They're emotional. This is, you know, a coach starting what I would call the latch on process of figuring out Caesar, you know, talk to me about, you know, why you left the first time. Um, and by the way, I should say more and more, we are finding students who are coming to us who, who finished high school in another country and they've okay. come to the state. So we have immigrant students that it's, is, is changing the pool of students. They have their own, you know, obstacles that they've had mm-hmm. to overcome, but you know, in order to get into the American system and to pr- proceed into post-secondary, they need that American diploma. So those coaches are identifying those triggers. Um, and everything along the way, while the student is with us and assigned to that coach, the coach is referring back to those. So, you know, you haven't logged in in, in two weeks. You know, you're, 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 you're saying yeah. you don't have time for this. Let's talk about right. the strategy we, we identified in the beginning. You don't have a you don't have a laptop. You mentioned your your sister has a laptop, and you see her every Wednesday night. Start working there. So they really do. It's very oh, prescriptive. Really cool. When I hear about this program, and I think about distru- disruption, and I put the two together, it it concerns me that I live in the city of Detroit, where you have a a an, a, a, an African American male, fourteen to seventeen with a 24% graduation rate. And I wonder how this program could impact the lives of people who, quite frankly, did not have the benefit 
of a quality high school education. I mean, it almost begs the question, have we reached the point where you're getting folks that, you know, were failed by the system, by the fact that zip code dictated the outcome of their education in the first place? You know, absolutely, Ron. I think I think what we're trying to do, or what we're we're really trying to shape now that we've been doing this for 10 years and we have a repository of graduates, thousands upon thousands, and we look at the data uh, on, on their progressing into post-secondary skills and trades programs. I think we want to be at the, uh, we believe we're at the forefront of reshaping adult education because that's what you're talking about. We're talking about hey. people who left the system, didn't make it through in Detroit as an example, or Cleveland or a variety of other high density, high urban Big problem across every major. Yes. Yeah, that there is a, there is a 30 to 40% as accumulatively that don't get through the system every year. And then they fall into us. So we believe that we do believe we're seeing a shift, uh, at the federal level in focus on adult education again, in terms of what we do with this large population of individuals, like you talked about in Detroit, that are in their mid twenties or early thirties that are out there, Ron Caesar, and they're out in the working in the community or not working in, in high and self-sustaining wages. How do we get them back in? We don't get them back in by sending them to Detroit public schools. I can tell right. you that right now. And right. that's not a knock on Detroit public schools. That's the concept of trauma and. Right. And returning to the scene of the. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. That's any school district to be very honest with you around the country. And what I found you know, the, the thing that I find really interesting is, and I know you guys probably did this, is kind of the research on this approach without technology necessarily, but the British Open University used to, and correspondence courses, if you guys, you guys are too young to remember high school correspondence courses, you know, but they kind of played with that model. But what you guys have done is taken it to another level, you know, but I remember when my mother never got her high school diploma. <clears throat> so she started taking correspondence courses, right, to get her high school diploma. So but I like the model and the research that you guys have used so that students are going to be successful. You know, they are going to be successful. Absolutely. And when your counselors, you know, engage with them, which I love, you call them coaches. I love that. You know, and they let them know that you are going to be successful. You know, and that's the approach we need to take with our children, you know, in K-12. There is no win-lose, you know. In your case, it's win-win. And, you know, the, the, I know we're going to talk about this in the, in the next program. We have all of these resources, but yet at the same time, we have all of these huge skills gaps, you know. And so there, we need to connect these. And I know you guys have done it. I really look forward to hearing about some of those. Well, you know, I wanted to ask Kari a question going back to the data a little bit. You guys have been doing this now for 10 years quite successfully, over t over 12,000 graduates, as you mentioned. And I'm curious, you know, the pendulum has swung in the field of education. We take ourselves out of the K-12 secondary credential onto post-secondary. And that world is just as disrupted and it's disrupted by technology, and it's disrupted by the high cost of a post-secondary education. So a lot of parents, a lot of students are reevaluating, what do I need? And for a good while, what I hear from a lot of our listeners and viewers is that there's too much emphasis on college readiness 
without an appropriate balance toward career readiness. So I'm kind of curious in your 10 years of data, what you're learning about those who get their high school diploma, but, and they want to continue, but they may not necessarily think that a four-year degree is what they want. No, that's a great, a great point. Um, we, I mean, we are seeing 76% of our students are pursuing post-secondary of that's some fantastic. form. Of those, though, 50% are pursuing an associate's degree. Um, about another third or 28% are, are pursuing vocational degrees. And then about 22% are pursuing bachelor's degrees. So it's it's not necessarily that they're going out for, for a four-year degree. They're pursuing, right. you know, as Howard mentioned, they're pursuing, um, you know, skilled trades, um, medical billing. Actually, a third of our students are pursuing some sort of certification in the medical field. Um, oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah Ron, you, Ron, you bring up a very interesting point about, I think you're absolutely right. I think when we take a step back, what we were doing actually in 2010, 2011 was the height of college prep. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, that is, we now have built a nice pipeline of students that have not graduated and they were not college prep bound. They were skills and trades college prep bound, not traditional college prep bound. And what we're finding from our exit data is that there are these large amounts of students that we have that are graduating and going into the skills and trades community college system. And that's why we're, we're encouraged because this, this, at this time, at this administration in Congress, which is bipartisan when it relates to workforce, it's not a partisan issue, it's a very bipartisan issue, really believes that any type of programs that are creating pipelines into these skills and trades community colleges is exactly what we should be doing. You know, Howard, when I hear you say skilled trades, I automatically always go back to my Detroit roots and my grandma, Vicki, who was an immigrant working in a factory who told me, get a trade, get a, learn a skilled trade. And that message was really abundantly expressed when I was growing up and it kind of went away. And so I'm curious, you know, our, uh, I'm, uh, hosting the show this week from Interplay Learning. And it seems to me they do a lot of work uh, using virtual reality to deliver skilled trades training on the spot to people. And it seems to me, for those who are interested in skilled trades, the technology is starting to catch up. So just like you guys started out on a computer, now you're mobile adapted, as I understand it. You know, how many, what are you saying in terms of the technology advancements that are helping to make the experience even better? Because back in 2010, I just remember so many entities and workforce and libraries saying, well, we want to reach these people, but they don't have the bandwidth. So how are we going to get a computer to them or sufficient bandwidth that they can do this? So maybe you could speak to that because it seems to me, you know, we're slowly getting to the beginning of a mad embrace of, you know, skill trades training using augmented reality, virtual reality, simulations, those kinds of things. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we're there. I think, look, the secondary education system, the K-12 system has actually been there. I mean, there's been a lot of innovation over the last 10 years, 15 years in virtual learning. Uh, maybe not so much in skills and trades, but there's been a lot of 
this. So I think post this pandemic, this pandemic has created a, a supply demand, demand for more training that provides inter interactivity and through the medium of a computer. I think we've seen that, we're gonna see that only continue to expand. What we're seeing too, is we're seeing adult ed, which did not have a lot of innovation in the last 10 years in online education. They were doing it more traditional ways or you know, traditional outlets to, to deliver that. So we're seeing a lot of innovation just with adult ed getting online. But what's so great is that we're, we're already 10 years into this. So the aspect that now we're digging into are the skills and trades piece bolted on, which has always been bolted onto the high school for us. And it's just, it's so valuable. That's why I'm excited. I'm, I'm the most excited I've been as superintendent of Smart Horizons in the last, since I, since we founded this. Howard, that's great. We're, uh, I could talk about this all afternoon, but um, regrettably, we're going to have to come to a close here. But the last thing I want to ask you about in this 10-year odyssey of yours is um, I heard Kari reference intergenerational poverty. And I'm curious if you're starting to see, you know, the effect of people who have persevered through this academic trauma that you're describing and they become role models for others in their families so that we begin to cut that intergenerational uh, cycle of poverty and, and absence of education. So what can you tell us about that? Well, I, you're, you know, you're spot on, Ron. I mean, we, we have um, students who, I mean, in, in Richland, South Carolina, Richland Public Library alone, there is a family of six who have enrolled and graduated from career online high school. So there is definitely wow. a ripple effect when we have these graduations. guys. That's fantastic. Yeah, the library has done a, a, a tremendous job there. Um, but I think we see it often that individuals, I was at a graduation in, in, in Colorado in May, similar, similar thing. I mean, people, parents are graduating they're they're setting an example for their kids either to complete in in their local school district or if they're post that age they're enrolling in the program and following in their footsteps so it's it's definitely changing families i mean we we have i we ask in the exit surveys the number of you know children that that individual graduates have and i looked at just 2019 to now over 9000 children have had parents graduate in our program. Oh, wow. That's phenomenal. So you've got to believe Listen, those 9,000 people are watching. That is phenomenal. That hey, is let me just say one thing, Ron, before, before you, there's this concept called family habitus. And what it says is that, and I think I mentioned to you guys in our pre-calls and stuff, is that if a parent is successful, their kids are going to be successful as well. One other thing, and I think Karen and Howard, that we need to take a look at and maybe get a grant to do some research on is a longitudinal study of the impact that it's had on families, you know, over a couple of periods of time. I think that would be a phenomenal study, man. Hey, could you guys just share with us before Ron wraps this up how someone, an, an adult that's in a position wants to go back to school and wants to be educated, how they can, what's your website? How can they get in touch with you? They can go shcoe.org. Cool. Fantastic. All right. I'm Ron Stefanski. I'm the co-host of Disrupt Ed, and I'm joined by Dr. Caesar. And I'm Caesar Mickens. And our guests today have been Kari Erickson 
and Dr. Howard Liebman. Thank you both for joining us. We're going to look forward to having you back shortly to talk. You guys are great. You guys are absolutely phenomenal. Congratulations. Well done. Yeah.